I had the privilege and the opportunity uh, this week to go to Sacramento. I went on Wednesday and I was able to spend time with Brother Benny and Sister Evelyn Hunter. They send you their greetings and their love and they say hello. Sister Evelyn, it says she's going to come and give her testimony whenever she is better. But she says as soon as she is able, she is going to come here and give her testimony. And I'm going to give her the opportunity to let you hear from her own mouth what God has done in her very life. And so just want to let you know. We also did the funeral service for uh, Brother Robert Bobby Charles Small, the tall small, at the cemetery on Monday. It was tremendous in regards to sending him on to glory. Sometimes when we have difficulties in our past, we have a great God that allows us to come back. We can repent. You don't have to stay in sin. You don't have to say, well, Lord, I blew it. I might as well stay here in the mud. You don't have to stay in the mud and the mire and the clay. You can get out. Whenever your car gets stuck in the mud, you don't keep it there. You don't say, well, I'm going to go ahead and get another car because my car got stuck in the mud. You get it out. Unless you're Mike Tyson, where I heard that Mike Tyson had a car that was a stick shift. I heard, now I don't know if it's true, but I heard that he got tired of shifting the gears and went and bought him another car right there on the spot. An automatic, because he didn't want to shift gears. Now, if you Mike Tyson, you got that kind of money, you can do it. And I tell you, that's, that, that is, to me, that's the way. I said, give me the car, I don't mind shifting gears. <laughs> Today we are going to continue our topic, You Cannot Stand on Your Own Before God, Part 2. As we begin to look at these passages, it gets into deep, deep waters. Today we're going to continue with 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10, and I'm going to also read a couple of other passages as well. If you bow your head with me for a word of prayer, we are grateful today, Lord, to you for your wonderful goodness and your grace and your mercy and your glory. We pray that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We love you for being God. We thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We honor you and give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, and then I'm going to read a passage from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22, and then I'm going to read Psalms. When we say Psalms, we mean more than one, but then when you talk about a single Psalm, you say Psalm without the S. So Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. There's some other passages, but I'm not planning to read those, but I may, I'll make reference to one of them. And this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, and listen carefully, we're going to deal with this, not with braided hair 
and gold or pearls or costly attire. I told you it's in deep territory, but this, but you need to understand the context. We'll break it down. But with, well, listen, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. First Kings chapter eight, verse 22. First Kings chapter eight, verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. All right. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand... In his holy place. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Again, the title is, You Cannot Stand on Your Own Before God, Part 2. Confronting problems head on rarely leads to a wonderful ABC one, two, three plan that falls nicely into place. When you've got to confront problems, it's not easy. I know that there are people and many people like to avoid problems. And if there is no problem, there are some people who are going to cause a problem. There are some people who just love problems. They make problems when there are no problems. And when there are problems, they make a bigger problem. There are just some people who love problems. Thank God that that's not you. (laughs) But confronting problems in the church and in life must take place. You see, I wonder if Timothy, as he has been instructed by the Apostle Paul to address men and women directly... And specifically, if his stomach problems and the fear that he had, if it was compounded by the fact that he had to address very difficult issues in the church in Ephesus. You should not believe that problems in the church started in 1960, 1955. No, there were problems in the church way back in the first century. In fact, there have always been problems, but the problems have not always been the same, but they have had to be tackled. I wonder if Timothy's problem was that Paul said, Timothy, I want you to be the one to confront the problems. I wonder if Timothy's frequent stomach problems were the result of Paul not being there to help him deal with the issue. But Paul told Timothy I've got to stay in Macedonia, and I left you in Ephesus to specifically deal with and address the areas that have to be worked out. It would take great courage and resolve on Timothy's part to tackle head-on powerful people in the church. And the specific issues that would surely cause some people to look at you very, very carefully or give you a mean look. This mugging you, just mean mugging, as some people may say. This looking at you like 
they don't like you. Have you ever had a person look at you like they just didn't like you? You haven't had that happen to you all? Well, keep living, keep living, keep living. <laughs> Timothy would have, to deal, would have to deal with the looks of people as he addressed not only one issue, but several issues. Point number one, having a proper attitude when it comes to prayer and worship. When we were looking back at chapter 2, verse number 1, Paul said that there needed to be and should be supplications in church, which or prayer requests, or requests. There needed to be general prayers. There needed to be intercession, meaning that someone praying on behalf of or for another person. And there needed to be thanksgiving. And Paul then went on, it seems to deal with some other matters, and now he seems to circle back and to come again to this matter of prayer. He then says, I desire that in every place that men should pray. If one is not careful, one would look at the context or the content of this passage and think, wow, how difficult and how chauvinistic a part to only say men. Well, let's take a look at the issues that were surfacing And the problem why Paul gave this specifically to the church at Ephesus. Now to say that women never prayed in church would not be correct because your reference would actually be 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 5. But Paul was dealing with another issue at that time. Women did pray, but in this particular case, as you understand, the world was dominated by a man culture, by males. The church was run by males. In fact, males and the men did basically all of the service. Even though women were present, there there is the belief by many that women and men did not worship in the same place. That's not the case. Women did come together and actually worship with the men in the church. Even when you look at the temple that Solomon built, there was a court for the women and everyone, including men, could worship there. But there were certain roles and there were certain responsibilities that were for men and for the women. One of the things that I think we have to be so very mindful and careful of is that when we look at the structure and the order that God set up, it was never that men, as I told you before, was to rule women in such a way over women so that he was saying, you have to do what I say no matter what. That's not what God said. See, if, if women were to be beneath men, then God could have taken women as what? From the sole of the man's foot. But he didn't do that. If he wanted women to rule over men, he could have taken her from his head. He didn't do that either. He took her from the very closest place, right from the side of Adam. And they were to rule jointly. If you look carefully back at the creation story, you will come to discover that Adam and Eve ruled together. But there were roles that were, ha- that were in place and that had to be carried out. Timothy has to deal with a very tough issue because in this context he said that I say that in this place here, because of what's happening, that women are not to pray at this time in the service here. And it's going to even get deeper next week. But the context of what's happening is that There had been a refocusing or a disconnect in regards to what the real issue 
of worship was supposed to be about. And the real issue of worship was supposed to be about honoring and focusing on Jesus. The phrase that Paul raises that I say that in every place men should pray. When the Bible says in every place, evidently and apparently it is a reference to the fact that there were different churches that met together. You see that when the church or the Jewish leaders rejected Paul and the gospel message, Paul then had to go to a different location to begin to preach the word of God. He went to a hall and he began actually to minister in the homes of people. So churches really started in the first century in the houses, house churches. But the order that was set place was still taken from the order of the synagogue. They prayed, they sang hymns and songs, and then there was a word that was given. So the structure and the order was still from the sanctuary. So when he says in every place... The letter to Timothy was not a letter only for Timothy to read. Yes, it was a personal letter, but it was meant for Timothy to read to the churches and those in Asia, those in the church around Ephesus, all the various locations. It was to be spread and to be read in the various locations because there was a problem. So he says in every place, wherever believers gathered, this message was supposed to. To be preached and taught. We see that prayer was a part of the service. In fact, prayer was a vital part of the service. It was to be done publicly and in such a way that God was honored. Why did Paul say that in every place I say that the men were to pray? The Bible is not clear in these passages just why he had excluded at this time the women from praying in public. But he goes on to then give some indication in verse number nine. We'll see that. When we look at prayer being a part of the service, the focus of the service was always supposed to be centered on God. But distractions began to come into the church in such a way that the focus began to shift from God to what people were wearing And to what people had on and how they were adorned. Paul says that the focus should be on God. So he says because of the culture and the context and men, he says, I instruct that men are to pray with holy hands. Now, if you're not careful, you would tend to think that when a person prayed, they had to raise their hands. Well, it was one indication of prayer and praise. But that's not the focus that he's making. The focus that he is actually making is that when one comes into the very presence of God to pray, that the attitude that one should have should always be towards God. So when he speaks of hands, it was an indication that when one came to the Lord, oftentimes the palm was up showing that, God, I have nothing in my hands, but I give you all of my praise. And so when you look at Solomon in the Old Testament, when he is... Dedicating the temple, he stood before the Lord and he lifted his hands in praise. The posture of the person wasn't the important piece. It was a matter of the person's heart. You see, it makes no difference whether you're kneeling, whether you're standing, whether your hands are raised. 
if your attitude is bad, your prayers are not going to be accepted. You may be laying down, lying down in your bed, about to fall asleep, and you are saying, God, I thank you. Your prayers will be heard. Why? Because it's a matter of the heart. While positions can be important of how you pray and show dedication, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is telling Timothy that there has to be a proper attitude. And when one raises their hand, it really oftentimes is an act of surrender. And so when you see at times people raising their hands, it oftentimes says, I am surrendering and honoring God. I know that people would like to have a smooth transition in churches where there are no problems. But I tell you this right now. Churches have problems. The church in Ephesus, Paul says, now, Timothy, you've got to deal now with the leadership of the church. Now, get this. Timothy had to tell some people, you can't teach anymore. Uh Uh-oh. He had to confront those leaders that were teaching that which was false and leading people astray. And so Paul would have to deal with the men specifically, those that were causing, or that were preaching false doctrine. You cannot teach anymore unless you get it right. Now that would be difficult in and of itself. Can you imagine having to go confront someone that's your senior, maybe twice, twice as old as you are, and having to correct them? But this is what Timothy had to do. Because he had to put into place that which was right. Paul goes all the way back, actually, to what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. Timothy, you need to put some things to an end and have those that are teaching falsely to stop and to make sure that people are doing that which is right. So, he instructs him, instruct the church in Ephesus, the house churches, that men, that they are to pray, and as they worship God, with hands lifted up, they have to have the right moral attitude. The Bible goes on to say, without anger or without quarreling. If you are upset and mad, trying to worship, it will be seen and known. Sometimes I've been upset. <laughs> okay, Sister Florence. <laughs> y'all, y'all gotta forget Sister Florence. We, <laughs> she, she helped me preach. I was preaching. I'm, I gotta, I gotta digress for a minute. I was preaching on one Sunday, and I made the comment that when we were doing Friday Night Live and people were coming, didn't say they didn't have clothes to come to church. I told, and even even beyond Friday Night Live, but I told people, just come as you are. I said, wear your pajamas if you don't have anything. I said, they're wearing them to the store. You can come to church in your pajamas. And Sister Florence said, tell them to cover up, Pastor. Tell them to cover up. Tell them to cover up. (laughs) She's going to help me preach. Whenever we look at the church, we have to realize that problems have always been a part. And Timothy has now the, the important task of telling his elders, not in a harsh way, you cannot teach anymore. 
And so therefore, because of that, you have to imagine that people not only would look at him mean, some of them would say, I am leaving the church. Whenever you have correction, you will inevitably have people that will say, I am leaving. Only to go to another church and say at that church, I am leaving. Only to find a third church and to say, I am leaving. If there were no problems before you got there, when you get there, there will be problems. You cannot go to a church and not have problems. In the very, in the very first century, there were difficulties. And here is young Timothy dealing with problems of his stomach, probably had ulcers. Who knows? He was very timid. And now he has to tell men, you cannot teach. Or when you teach, you, it must be done in this way. And then have to come to the realization that some people are saying, I am out of here. Well, Paul didn't tell Timothy that based on people's responses, you should stay true to the word of God. He says, no, teach the word of God. Teach truth. Be diligent to give it. And if they leave, still preach the word of God. But Timothy's task in being difficult as it was, had to be done with respect and had to be done with dignity. So tell men that you are to pray because God has placed you here in the leadership role. And as you pray, it can be done with anger and quarreling. The Bible doesn't say what the anger and quarreling was, was about, but let's look at maybe some of the possibilities. Maybe someone was angry because they didn't get the position they wanted. And that person is up in front, and they feel that they need to be there. So they may be upset that morning with the person leading. Or let's say that maybe a person was upset or is upset because they had to be disciplined that day, and so they're angry and quarreling. There was quarreling in the church in Ephesus for various reasons. Some of the men were being, were being, were teaching that was, which was wrong, and Timothy has to correct them. And then on top of this, Timothy's age was an issue. Paul says, Timothy, don't even let people look down upon you because of your age. You don't see this here. But you know there's gotta be an issue because that became a problem. There cannot be true worship if there's anger and quarreling. I tell you this. Every Saturday night, me and my wife got into an argument when we first got married, right before church. Went on for a long time. I couldn't understand it. Why on Saturday do we have these major arguments and here I am driving to church angry, mad, trying to worship. Can't because I'm upset. Because she was wrong. I was right. (laughs) <laughs> no, I wasn't always right. But that, that, that came up every Saturday. And then we identified the problem. It wasn't a matter of the content. It was a matter of what Satan himself was trying to do. He wanted to mess up the worship service for us that next day. He doesn't want you to be worshipers of God. He doesn't want you to have the privilege of honoring God and focusing on him. He wants you to be right there mad and dig into your anger, being upset. That's what he wants your focus to be. If he can get you distracted, then he has you right where he wants you to be. He has has you right where he wants you. Paul says these people are angry and they're quarreling. 
He says, that can't take place. They must have a right attitude. And so what we decided to do is said, you know what? We will watch on Saturday night so that we don't argue. And if something comes up, we'll say, hey, it's Saturday. <laughs> and that would be an indication that, ah, we have to watch spiritually because it will mess with the next day. You sometimes have to watch what happens because what does Satan do? He wants to get in and to distract and take your focus off of God. Worshiping God, honoring God, lifting hands. You find all through the Psalms. Psalm 134 verse 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 141 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What Paul seems to be urging is the attitude that one should have when they pray. Not so much the posture. Verse number nine. Likewise. Now, if you go back to verse number eight, he says, I desire. And so rather than commanding Timothy, he is now putting in a, in a different context. Because I desire goes all the way back to that first verse in chapter one or in that area where he says, I command you, Timothy. That word desire is that same word, which means I command, but he brings it and he changes the tone because he wants basically to ask him, but he's also commanding. I desire, verse 9 says, likewise, it basically says, I also desire that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty. The Christian message is a message for everybody. There are some religions that not only prevent women from attending, but they actually put women down. Do you not know it was the Christian and the the, Christianity that actually elevated women and their roles in the church? What was going on? So this is what you need to know. Many of the women in Ephesus, not many I should say, but quite a few were wealthy. There were women that had influence In society, if you think that women didn't have influence in the Greco-Roman world, you would be mistaken. Women that actually, um, if you look at the book of Acts, when Paul was having some problems and there were, there were difficulties, some of the men would go get some of the leading women and say, we are having a problem and you, we want you to join with us. And they will get, go get some of the leading women. And have some of them to participate and to use their influence to help raise whatever the issue that they were dealing with and to cause problems. So what Timothy seems to be addressing here is that there were rich women that were coming into the church. Some of them were coming right out of the world. And the way that they actually lived and the way that they showed their wealth was by what they wore and their attire. So when Paul mentions about braided hair and the adornment, what would happen in some of the cultures is that the the wealth of the women would be known simply by how she wore her hair and what she had on. So oftentimes when they had their hair braided, it would be very high, inches high, and there would be gold and ribbons all weaved through their hair to display their wealth. It was an indication that they were wealthy. Their dress and their attire would be elaborate. 
And so those that were on the outside, those people that, before they came to the Lord, they knew that person is very wealthy. So when they came to church and began to get saved and come into the church, they brought this exact attire into the church. And what began to happen, the focus was no longer on honoring and worshiping God, but it was actually on them because of what they had on. And they came dressed the kids. I'm going to get all the attention today. Paul was not saying that women should not look good when they come to church. But the focus should not be on what? Your wealth and what you are wearing and adorning yourself in these various ways. And if you look at Peter, 1 Peter, I believe, chapter 3. Peter also deals with the similar issue. Because why? Women were being saved. But Paul says, it's now becoming a distraction for men as they were trying to read the scripture and couldn't. (laughs) Trying to focus and couldn't. So Paul says to Timothy, I command that in this way, that they should not do as they did in the world to get attention, but as they come to Christ, as they come to church, that they should... Change the attire so that it's more modest and that they recognize we come to church to honor and worship God. But if you look at it just from the content, one would be thinking, what is Paul talking about? But when you look behind the context and the rationale and the reason, one can understand, oh, Paul's intention is that one must always remember when we come to church, it is always To remember and to focus on God. Remember Lydia in the book of Acts. Lydia was a seller in purple. It was a red dye from Thyatira. um, And when she heard the gospel in the 16th chapter of Acts, you'll come to discover that the Bible says that she believed and became a believer in the Lord. Not only did she become a believer in the Lord, Her whole household became a believer, meaning that she was the head of her house. To have this this business in purple dye meant that she was wealthy. And she encouraged Paul and the apostles, come to my house and let let me bless you. And so the apostles went to her house. Not only was her house big enough to have evidently servants and whoever else composed her household, but enough, big enough to even have the apostles to come to her house. Some have even said in history that she may have even perhaps helped to um, take care of some of the needs of the ministry. We don't know, but that's some of the things that history has said. But you don't see Lydia flaunting, but it talks about what her business was. She loved God. She was a woman of influence. And evidently, there was a church that was actually in her house. Timothy would have his work cut out for him as he would have to now talk to the women about their apparel. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Timothy already fearful. Timothy already having stomach issues. But Timothy had to be reminded that Timothy... There was a prophecy given about you. We also laid hands on you, Timothy, 
And Timothy, based on your ministry, based on your gifting, be sure to carry out what I, in fact, prayed for you on about and what the elders and others also prayed for you. How they prayed over you, Timothy. Use your gifting to implement what needs to be done in the church. And so Timothy would have to now confront and to deal with. And you can imagine that how difficult this would be as he had to address the matter. Not only is there one book taught that, that has been given by Paul to Timothy, but there are two books, First and Second Timothy, even though the issue in Second Timothy is now different than First Timothy. So as we look at this matter here and bring this to a conclusion today, What's the important thing to understand and remember? Whenever we come to church, the focus must always be on the Lord. It must always be to bring honor and glory to the King of Kings. Yes, we should do our best, look our best. But when our attitude is something different, we have to make sure we check ourselves. I encourage people to look your best, do your best. But we also have to understand the culture and the context. Today, some people can't go into a certain church if you don't have a suit on. There are some people today that women can't go into a church if you have pants on. I say that the dress code is not the issue. It has to be a matter of the heart. Because you can be dressed down, decked out, and still mean as a rattlesnake. It's a matter of the heart. So how do you honor and to, how do you worship God? How do you enter? Do you enter the Lord's presence with hands lifted up? Or are you saying, people, whether it's men or women, look at me. Is your focus when you come to church to honor, to please him, to learn, to give thanksgiving for how he has brought you through the entire week? Or is it to say, I'm going to show people what I bought Last night. Oh, I got it going on. I know we all do it, but you know, but we, 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 we gotta be careful. What should it be? It should always be, Lord, I'm going to honor you. So when you pray, don't get caught up in the position, but be sure that your attitude is right. Be sure that you understand it's about your approach to God. That we are to honor, we are to love, and we are to worship him. Wow, in spirit and in truth. I can almost see Timothy now saying, Oh, Lord, help me. Give me strength to deal with these things because it is going to be difficult. But again, Paul says, Timothy, there's no one else. You're the person. We are to focus on God. And in order to do that, Timothy, there's some things that you're going to have to deal with. In your own personal life today, if you bow your head with me, what do you need to clean out and get rid of that will allow you to focus on God? What's keeping you and preventing you from fully being able to worship and honor him? Is it stuff? Is it a person? Is it worry? Is it guilt? What gets in the way of your focus on Christ? Well, that may need to be cleaned out. Lord, in this place today, as we look at 
worship and prayer and praise and the heart of the individual. We cannot stand before you on our own, but we must stand before you in the grace and the mercy and the love of our Savior. We recognize that within our lives there are many things that can hinder our worship. But we do pray today that we will be mindful that when we come to you, that we are to come not in anger or quarreling, but with a spirit of worship, a spirit of praise, with moral integrity, with a heart of thanksgiving to you. May those areas that may block our praise and worship, may those areas be revealed to us that we can lay them on the altar before the King of Glory. When the enemy of our soul seeks to bring distractions into our lives that would shift the focus from Christ to us or to anything else, may the Holy Spirit quickly reveal those things to us so that we may repent and say, Lord, you are first. You get all the glory. For the Bible does say that God is a jealous God, that you will not share your glory with another. And so today we pray that we don't try to move in on your territory and have the focus be us, but that we allow Christ to be seen through us, that you may be honored and that you may be glorified. So that as we lift our hands in worship and praise and magnify the King of glory, that the favor of the Almighty will be upon us. We do love you. We do honor you. We do thank you. And we worship you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.